Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Hello and welcome back to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Erica Keswin. She is the author of Bring Your Human to Work, 10 Surefire Ways to Design a Workplace That's Good for People, Great for Business, and Just Might Change the World. This book's been out about three weeks, and she's been on the Wall Street Journal's best-selling list. book is fantastic. I think this is a topic that, although we've heard the buzzword of human in the workplace. And Erica talks about that. We've we've heard that we need to bring the human to work. Uh, but what does that mean exactly? And she breaks it down and provides really 10 ways and it gives you the playbook for implementing really cheap, sometimes free things in your organization to, to be more human, to have great interactions within people in your organization and customers. I think you're really going to love this episode. Erica's a wealth of knowledge and the content is phenomenal. We are going to do a book giveaway for this book and how you enter is write us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you listen to our podcast. Submit the review, screenshot it, email it to me or send me a LinkedIn uh, message with the screenshot. Um, and if you have to connect with me first, that's fine too. You can also uh, reach out on Instagram and direct message me that way too, whatever's easier for you. And then I'll enter you into the book giveaway and we'll draw it after the next episode and we'll give away three books. So your chances are pretty good. So I'll step out of the way. Enjoy the episode with Erica Keswin, author of Bring Your Human to Work. Hey, Eric, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks so much for the invitation. Your new book and your first book, Bring Your Human to Work, 10 Surefire Ways to Design a Workplace That's Good for People, Great for Business, and Just Might Change the World. It's been out for about three weeks. You've been on a best-selling list for Wall Street Journal after, what, first or second week? Yeah. This book is doing really well, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think that it's the the right time that in this age where we are connected digitally so much of the time, there is a part of all of us that is craving that human connection. And because we spend so many, so much of our waking day at work, it's a logical place to look for some of that. I mean, the title of the book just jumps out at you. I think it's, we needed this book. And that's probably why you came to the conclusion of, to write this book, I would imagine. Exactly. Exactly. I kept hearing, you know, one of the things that was interesting was as I was seeing and noticing these trends around technology, you know, I, don't, I think we, everybody listening yeah. to the podcast would agree that technology has changed most, if not all aspects of our lives, you know, some for the good, some for not as good. But that was interesting to me. But was but what was even more interesting was that 
as the trend with the with the digital increase was was going on, I began to see the word human popping up wherever I looked. You know, I want to bring my whole self to work, design a human workplace. And I kept saying to myself, A, what does that mean? And B, why is this <laughs> happening now? And the conclusion that I came to was that in many ways it was in response to this digital revolution. And so they're they're interconnected. And because the technology is not going away anytime soon, nor should it. I mean, I'm a huge fan of technology. We need to better understand and be intentional about the the role of of the human connection in the workplace and in and in life. Yeah, there's definitely a balance to to using technology. It could definitely benefit us. But I think you like in the intro, for example, you you visualize this perfectly. So you wrote that you started seeing behaviors in the workplace you hadn't seen before. And it was like more and more employees down the hall were calling into meetings. They were texting bad news to clients instead of calling them. And they're eating lunch alone at their desks while they're wearing headphones. So it's like this closed off connect connection thing and you're relying on technology to connect with people, whereas like actual having human touch. So I imagine that's why you decided to pull the thread on what does it mean to be human at work? Exactly. I wanted to create a roadmap because I think many times when you talk about some of these softer issues, people don't get down to the details on what it means and, and how to do it. And the book, provides both the science, the data behind why it's important, and then stories of, of people who have done it and what they've done and then the impact that it's had. Your book like really covers, I mean, the subtitle, 10 Surefire Ways to Design a Workplace That's Good for People. It, it really outlines the ways in which you could be more human, right? You basically, you've defined what, what it means to be human at work, uh, through your work, and then you've, def- you've outlined these 10 ways that anybody could implement. It, they seem simple on the surface. Is that like what you wanted people to take away? Is like, here's just 10 things that I've realized through talking with people, organizations, leaders, and here's here's the, the, the playbook, so to speak. Exactly. And people will say, well, why 10? And do you need to do all of them? What's nice about the book and the concepts in the book is that you don't need to do them all. They are actually in no particular order that you can pick and choose from a menu of options, what makes sense for you, your company, your industry, what your employees want, your budget, and many of these things actually don't cost much, except for chapter one. And chapter one is called Be Real, How to Speak in a Human Voice. And that chapter is about knowing your values and and truly defining them and, and making sure that they are off the walls and are felt in the halls, that they are alive. Because most companies have a set of values, have something written down, but most of those companies, unfortunately, um, people don't have a sense of what those values are and they are mm-hmm. not driving any types of behaviors or decisions within the company. And so that chapter, not only knowing your values, but then aligning everything you do to those values and empowering your employees to live them if you can focus on that chapter and do some of the the things in that chapter, it will be much easier to think about how all of these other chapters work. Because it is, I would say, one of the most important things in, in designing a human workplace is knowing what you stand for. I 100% agree. I'm actually glad that was the first chapter because I think like having a value system and in authenticity and transparency around like who you are, what you believe in that like that's that's a foundation for any organization and 
in people. They want to align with that. It is. But I'm sure you've seen in your work too, the mistake that a lot of companies make is that they have way too many values, 10, 12, 14 mm. values. And when you have that many values, a couple, you have a couple of challenges. Number one, you know, you walk around your office and it's hard to remember. I mean, who's going to remember 12 values? Number one. N number two, there, there are too many to be driving any specific kinds of behavior that you really need to narrow it down. And so the, the test that I use, I, I call it the fork in the road test. When you're at the fork in the road and you don't know whether to turn left or right or, you know, who to hire, who to fire, do you launch this product? Do you do this deal? Your values should drive you. And if there are certain values that don't, you may want to think about taking, you know, they still could be important principles in some way in your company, but they may not truly be a value of what, of what, you, what you stand for at your core. So my rule of thumb is three to six values. Very few companies can narrow it down to three. I see many more in that four to six range. But that, that to me is, is something to shoot for. So being in the, the business to business world that I'm in, especially as a marketer in my profession, I think it's funny that we treat it like business to business. Like we're interacting as a business, we're interacting with another business versus a human to human interaction, which it obviously is how can business leaders like encourage employees within the organizations to be more real so that they feel like that that the real authentic people with nuances and imperfections and mm -hmm. and their values kind of show through in their interactions like how do we encourage that inside of the organization so we can show ourselves to the outside as well mm -hmm. number one leaders have to model it you know, if a leader is real and authentic and shares a side of themselves that is a little bit more human, they're, they're, you know, setting the tone and will get the people that work for them to do it as well. So that's the first thing and a really important piece of this. The second is to capture people doing it and doing it well and sharing those stories. So you know, Lyft is a company that's in the book and they have four very clear values. You know, one is uplift others, right? Excusing the pun, you know, one is create fearlessly. And every month at their all hands meeting, they, they tell their managers in advance to send in stories where they've seen people living these values. Oh, I love and that. so they're creating this repository of, of data and of stories of, of what people have done and that, that's great. You can use that for customers. You can use that for investors. You can use that for, you know, employees, attraction and retention. But then they pick a few, they pick two stories, one from a driver. So somebody on the front lines in the quote unquote front office, and then somebody in the back office um, who's not a driver. And they tell the story of how someone has lived one of those values. And the stories are unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I, people can... There's some great ones that I talk about in the book. There's some real tearjerkers in there. And what I, what I say is that, you know, by, by collecting these stories, that's one step. But then by sharing these stories so that other new people, when they come into the organization, can see and feel what this looks like, what these behaviors look like that are, that are tied to the values, which are so important to the culture, it, it you know, again, excusing the pun, but it, it uplifts everyone versus just the one person that's found out about the story. So that storytelling is a really 
critical piece. And then the final piece, which is a little, which is harder, but companies are really looking at it, is to to measure and evaluate leaders on some of these behaviors. You know, if you, you know, what what do people do? What they're what they're measured? You know, you you do what you're measured, you know, on on doing. So that becomes an important part of the equation as well. In chapter two, you described sustainability as being like the marshmallow test for business. And I love that. Uh, I thought that was a really clever way to describe playing the long game and being a sustainable business. Can you describe like what that marshmallow test is for people who don't know that psychology test and then describe how workplaces can be more sustainable and play the long game? Because you have a lot of good ideas in that chapter. So playing the long game in my book focuses on how to create a culture, an organization that is diverse and inclusive. And this goes for small companies, big companies, and everything in between. And I, the approach that I took was in addition to talking about some companies with some great diversity and inclusion strategies, I talk about why it's important for companies to also think about what I call intentional work practices. And what I mean by that is if companies don't think about and create programs and policies around flexible work, parental leave, bereavement leave, they, there's no way they will be able to attract and retain a diverse workforce. The other reason why this is a great time to be thinking about this and, and to be in the workplace is that millennials who will make up 25% of the workforce by 2025 and, 20, and 50% by 2020, which is literally around the corner, they're demanding a more diverse workplace and they're making decisions on where they want to work based on it. And they want to work for companies who have these intentional work practices and think about where, when, and how one can work in a more flexible way. And then the highest level or the last level of playing the long game is what I call enlightened supply chain. And these are companies that say, I want to play the long game and have a diverse and inclusive organization on, you know, within my own four walls, but I'm even going to expand that to the kinds of companies that I do business with. And an amazing example and a very recent example of this was Microsoft came out with a statement about three weeks ago and said that they will only work with suppliers who provide 12 weeks of um, maternity and paternity leave, parental leave. Wow. Which, I mean, that exponentially can you know impact how how human a workplace with because you can imagine how many different suppliers a company like Microsoft you know works with I actually love that because talk about playing the long game like there's nothing more long game than bringing a child into the world and making sure that we have like economic and social sustainability by raising people the right way and I kind of like that businesses are starting to get involved in playing a role and mm -hmm. offering maternity and paternity leave. You, you mentioned one company that's doing it really well. What are some other companies uh, that you've heard of or talked to that are really putting emphasis on this, this paid parental leave? You know, what's interesting, you know, there, are, there are big companies like Microsoft and Airbnb is one. I mean, they do something that, and I haven't heard a lot of companies do this, where when you come back from a, a maternity leave, you know, we all know you want to, in an ideal world, you can dip your toe in sort of slowly versus going zero to a thousand overnight when you've been home for a few months. They actually let you come back 80%, but for a hundred percent pay and sort of ease your way back in. And they also give you dinner to bring home for your family. 
Again, oh, it's really amazing. thinking about this from a human perspective. On the smaller company, um, you know, smaller companies are thinking about this too. There's a company called Humanize um, in Boston. Not again, not a big company. They, there, the head is a guy named Ben Weber who wrote an article recently about maternity and paternity leave. They actually have mandatory paternity leave, and that's something that many companies have been throwing around as an idea and debating its merits because the issue is if only women take parental leave it then becomes you know it's a woman issue so if you're looking to mm -hmm. hire you know a man or a woman and you know that the woman is of childbearing age and then may leave and take multiple parental leaves that could be an issue and they also believe this company also believes that you know as you were getting to from a societal perspective what an amazing gift to be able to have fathers spending real time at home with their children in their first weeks of life. Yeah, I would imagine, I mean, for one, it's a great benefit and probably have a lot of loyalty towards organizations that they offer that. I mean, what, you can't get any more human than that. Like, they actually care about me. They they want me to stay home with my newborn child for a couple weeks or three weeks, four weeks, whatever it may be. That's I think that's amazing that some people are doing that. Really, it's 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 a focus. And again, going back to the new generations coming into the workforce, they're they want this in a way. You know, we wanted it too, um, the Gen Xers, but there weren't enough of us to move the needle, and we didn't we didn't feel like we could ask for a more human workplace. Work was work but this generation is different. You talk a lot of, in your book about technology and its impact on whether or not we could be human at work. Do you think it's like overall helping us become more human or, or is it really hurting us by pulling us further apart? And is there a, does it need to be a balance between how we're using technology in the workplace? I think the word balance of technology is, is tricky because <laughs> it's, it's there is no balance anymore. Yeah. My approach to it is more around what I call finding the sweet spot between leveraging all that's amazing about technology, right? You and I are on technology right now. We're going to reach tons and tons of people that are your listeners through technology. But if this is the only way that we communicated all day, every day in our lives, it would not be good for us as humans and it would be not it would not be good for either of our businesses. And so we need to think about leveraging technology, but then also putting it, quote unquote, in its place. And the challenge with that is, you know, excusing the, the pun here, but left to our own devices, we're not connecting. And there's a lot of reasons for it. Some of it is that the technology is designed to suck us in and we almost can't help ourselves. So a lot of what I talk about with leaders and when I work with companies, and, and I also touch on it quite a bit in the book, is that we need to be disciplined, we need to be intentional, and even create organizational protocols around how, when, and where we're using technology to benefit us. So there's a, a chapter in the book called Mind Your Meetings. We spend a lot of our days in meetings. And in many cases, if we're not intentional about how we connect, we're missing out on a huge opportunity when we're sitting around the table or even with Zoom or Skype, you know, something, you know, using the technology, but we're not turning the camera on or we're sitting in the same room and we're texting under the table. And so these organizational protocols really keep us honest and disciplined and 
it, the data is clear. When people connect at work, engagement goes up, turnover goes down. And this is not a touch, again, where I started with, it's not a touchy-feely exercise. It's good for business. There is an example in the technology chapter about finding its sweet spot where it described it as a as a blessing in some way. So, and this is a customer interaction. So JetBlue, they somehow automated the check-in process and other like probably really mundane, boring tasks to free up their staff so that they could do more mm -hmm. customer service oriented things. And you had an example where uh, one of the staff members got coffee and ran it over to a mom who was probably struggling with two or three kids and was yep. overly tired. And it to me, I, I read that story and I'm like, well, that's a really good use of technology where you're really streamlining boring administrative tasks where you free up people to do something that's way more useful and could have a human connection. Is that how you would look at that too? And that's another, no, I love that example. And it's another example of playing the long game because they, they, they streamline their check-in process, but you know, it's, but not for everyone. So if I go there with my parents who definitely do not want to sign in and print their own bag tags, but I'm perfectly fine doing that. Or my kids are sure perfectly fine doing it. You don't need as many people doing it. You want to make sure there are some people doing it for the people that want that higher touch interaction with the bag tag. But the long game piece here too is that instead of just cutting resources and having that go immediately to the bottom line by getting rid of a person or two by reallocating those resources and aligning it with their values, saying this is what we're about as a brand, um, it's that's the long game. I mean, that just pays dividends for years and years to come. And, and every time I speak and talk about JetBlue, I see the nods in the audience where people feel that there is something different when you're on that airline. And what's different is that their crew members are truly motivated, incentivized, expected to and empowered to live those values. Let's talk about well-being. So it seems to me that a lot of employers are putting an emphasis on well-being, like it's a responsibility that they have to make sure that their employees are feeling good and healthy and all these in mental health, of course. You talked about in one of the chapters about well-being, and I think the whole chapter is dedicated to this one company, Vynamic, and how they're really changing the way well-being should be at work. Can you give some of those examples? Because I thought some of those things were amazing. And I'm like, I we should implement these here in my office. Yeah, and, and many of them are, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit, and again, a lot of them don't cost very much. The reason why I went deeper on one company was that, you know, I didn't want to present this whole idea of well-being at work. Everybody, just go get everybody a Fitbit and call yeah, it right. I mean, not that giving everybody a Fitbit's a bad thing. I think people would be psyched up a Fitbit. And competitions at work. But I do think this idea of holistic well-being has a much deeper meaning in, in more and more companies. So... Dynamic, even the way it started, but Dan Kalista is the CEO, and Dan used to work for another consulting firm, you know, one of the big consulting firms, I2 Company Consulting, which in many ways is a fairly inhumane industry. You're at the beck and call of your clients, and you're on a plane, and it's, it's challenging work. And he loved it and said to himself, there has got to be a better way, and left to start Dynamic with a goal of it being one of the healthiest companies in the world. So he, he started it from a mission perspective with the goal of let's see what, what, how we can move the needle on this being a more a, a healthier company. So 
Dan has everything from a curator of healthy snacks to a full-time person who focuses on the health and well-being of all the consultants there. And that's an interesting story because one of his consultants came to him and said that she had a real interest, passion, slash side hustle going on in the, in the space around life coaching and nutrition and wellness. And he paid for her to go back to school to get her degree and then allowed her to take that passion and do it full time at Dynamics. They have um, ergonomically correct chairs and lighting that, that is best for people, and when company, when their employees are working locally on clients in the Philadelphia area, they'll actually bring the chairs and the lights and the snacks and all of that to the client site. One of the, the practices that I really enjoyed hearing about at Dynamic was a, was a program called Z-Mail, then catch some Z's. And in consulting and finance and really every industry these days, as I was talking about earlier, it's hard to know when the workday ends and when your evening at home with your family and friends begins. And Dan didn't want to leave that up to chance. And so this program, Zmail, says to everyone, you can't send an email after 10 p.m. or before 6 a.m. unless it's mission critical. And don't send them on the weekend. And, you know, their people are, you know, ex-McKinsey, BCG, Accenture. I mean, they have very driven, smart, employees in this company so it's not out of laziness but he's saying to them you know what let's be smarter and more intentional and more thoughtful about when we send emails and let's make sure that what we're doing is actually mission critical and are there times when you work on the weekend of course you have a, a deadline and nobody has a problem with that but it, it it forces you as an employee to sort of pause before you press send and just the last fun thing that I'll share is that he, he said to me, you know, you don't want to be the person at Dynamic who sends the Z-bomb, which is an <laughs> email at 9.55. Like, who wants to be that person? I love that. So I want to round out our conversation and close it with gratitude and, and, and thank yous, as you, as you say, to be more human at work, really. And you talk about a story with the Starbucks barista. I want you to, I want you to tell that story and then talk about how it influenced you to write this book in the first place i'm a big starbucks fan me too my, my, right my daily drink it's almost <laughs> my time people ask if i'm a big meditator when i talk about wellness i feel like that coffee at starbucks feeling the heat on my hands is almost my daily just time <laughs> to think and, yeah, and meditate at, at starbucks so i live in new york city and i have been walking by my local starbucks on 81st and broadway for 13 years and over the years, I got to know my barista, Ashley Peterson, and she would know my drink. She would have it ready and waiting for me. And um, she got to know my kids when I started having kids. And a couple of years ago, one of my daughters became obsessed with the Starbucks pumpkin scones. And if you know about the scones and the pumpkin spice lattes, and yeah. there's a whole group of people out there that wait every year until the fall <laughs> when, those, yep. when those seasonal items get into the stores in Starbucks, like a big thing, which I hadn't realized. So one day Ashley said to my daughter, Caroline, I just want you to know that in a couple of weeks, there aren't gonna be any more pumpkin scones. So Caroline was sort of bummed, but you know, life went on and finally they ran out. And so it was November 1st, a few years ago, we walked by Starbucks. Ashley had my grande extra hot soy latte waiting for me. This was before the app. And I go in, I get my coffee and we kept walking to school. And the next thing I know, I hear someone screaming my name mm. running down Broadway. 
And I turn around. I thought I had left my wallet in the Starbucks again because it was before the app when I actually needed my wallet in the Starbucks. And it was Ashley. And she's calling my name. We, Caroline and I stop. She catches up out of breath, turns to Caroline and says, Caroline, I know you're bummed that there's no more pumpkin scones, but now that it's November 1st and it's holiday season, here's a piece of gingerbread that you might like. And sort of in that moment, A, I, there was a huge smile on my, on my kid's face, but you know, here's a person that we have known, that we have been interacting with, who literally and physically came out from behind the counter, chased us down the street. And, and as a workplace strategist, A, I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this is so unbelievable. B, how can Starbucks bottle this? Yeah, right. And any company that could bottle what Ashley did in that moment to connect with us as true humans uh, could crack the code on any, on any business. And that was in that moment when this idea of bringing your human to work came to be. And I'll, I'll end by, by saying that it's a bummer for me because Ashley is no longer an 81st and Broadway, but the good news for her is that Starbucks saw in her what I did from a workplace perspective. She's been promoted five times. She now manages her very own Starbucks on 55th and 5th. Amazing. Listening to this is in town. You can visit her in the Uniqlo building. And yeah, she's, she's truly unbelievable. So how can we in all of our companies think about the way we interact with our our colleagues, the people that work for us, our customers in a more human way. I think it's well said because I think we got, and I think a lot of businesses are still thinking about it, but we, we do things that want to that scale, right? We want to be transactional and do things low cost and just at scale. But that human interac interaction that you're talking about doesn't necessarily scale, but it builds a loyalty and it, it brings out the human interaction. And I think that's way more appealing than, you know, low cost and average. So Erica, your book, it's available. Where can people find it? Bring Your Human to Work is on Amazon. It's been for a number of weeks now, the number one new release in business management and in, and in human resources and personnel management. And it's at Barnes and Noble, really anywhere books are sold. Awesome. And I'd love to hear from people. You know, you can reach me at erica at spaghettiproject.com. Let me know what you think about the book. I have a new subscription to a newsletter called The Human Headlines that I'm sending out once a month, which highlight leaders who are implementing some of the programs and, and policies across all of the chapters in the book so we can keep up on who's doing these things well and learn from them. Great. We'll put links up to all those resources. Are you speaking at any conferences coming up soon that you could point people to as well a lot of of private, private. events on see on november 7th i am at um a conference in toronto called move the dial which is you know more focused on diversity and inclusion and getting more women oh, good. into higher levels of management i will be at work human in march and i will be at south by southwest so in a number of different places, and it's all on my website when I'm going to be in different different cities. So you can check that out. Actually, next week, if anybody's in L.A. on November 1st, I'm going to be doing an open event that people can sign up for at the Riveter, which is an amazing new co-working space. And I'll be at the Riveter in Seattle on November 13th. So those are all events that are that are that anybody could sign amazing. up for. Erica Keswin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is a lot of fun and keep up the good work. This is a great book. I encourage people to go buy it 
and I hope you have great success with it over the next several months as you're probably on the road a lot. Yeah, but reach out if I'm in your city, I'd love to say hello. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.